Shalom and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Baruch B'Shem Yeshua, streaming right here on Rumble. Make sure to go and check out guitarrabbi.com to uh, be able to get the audio versions of all of our topical as well as Torah portion teachings. Coming soon will be the Light of the Messiah Roku channel. That'll be coming in the coming weeks. We are very much looking forward to that. And uh, so we got all the introductions out of the way, all of those things. One of the things I want to get to here before it is we get started into Parsha Shemini is um, for those of you who don't know, I'm a type one diabetic. Okay. I got uh, this thing in my arm, it's on this side right now, <laughs> that uh, checks my blood sugar every five minutes and all of that stuff. And I've been really been paying close attention to my blood sugars during this Passover season. Because as you guys know, we don't eat anything that has leavening in it. You know, so the usual breads, you know, certain types of carbohydrates are things that, you know, um, you know, in terms of a diabetic, you got to go and uh, switch things up, especially if you're type one. And so, you know, been dealing with a lot of potatoes and things like that in terms of making sure I get those carbohydrates. And I've been getting a lot of messages from you guys who have a family member who's type one diabetic, a child who's type one diabetic, or maybe you yourself are. The thing I could tell you is to load up on. Other carbohydrates like potatoes, but also realize as well as there's the concept of Bukohad Nefesh, the saving of a life above all else. Do not become so legalistic. Do not become so engulfed in thinking that the Torah is somehow your salvation to where it is that uh, you don't do what is important for the saving of a life, especially for yourself or for your children. Okay, so don't become one of those people. I'm very rabbinic in terms of my walk, in terms of the fulfillment of mitzvahs. And the thing is, many people can see that as being very legalistic. I say, chash shalom. God forbid. There's certain things that type 1 diabetics have to do a workaround and all those things. And remember that during that of Yom Kippur, a person who has a medical condition, such as type 1 diabetes, are exempt from the scheduled fasts of Yom Kippur, as well as Tishbayav and others. There's other things you could do when we get closer to those times. We will obviously go and discuss them here on this program. Okay. But let's go ahead. We got a ton of slides, a tons of things to get to for this week's Torah portion, which is Parshish Shemini. Let's go to our first verse here. We're going to be looking at Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22. And it says, Aharon lifted up his hands towards the people and he blessed them. He then came down. From where he had made the sin offering, the birds offering, and the peace offering. Now we're going to be looking at the words of Rebbe Nachman of Breslev. We're also going to be looking at the words of 
Menachel Mendel Schneerson, the Lubavitcher Rebbe. A lot of their stuff likes uh, their collections. Start out with the word Lekute. So we're going to go to Lekute Maharon here. Lekute Maharon says the main blessing comes through the hands. The greater the purity of one's hands, the cleaner they are from usury and other monetary transgressions, the greater one's capacity to receive and channel blessings. Aaron raised his hands in order to draw down blessing from above. It's very interesting because though it is, I may have theological disagreements with, say, for instance, my Pentecostal brethren. The thing is that whenever it is that they are in their service and they're raising their hands, they are kind of doing a very rabbinic Jewish thing. Very much so. And now we're going to look at this concept that Rebbe Nachman talks about in this in in his commentary here, Lekote Maharon. The hands represent not just the bringing down of spiritual blessing, as we have seen from here, but the hands are a mode of operation and the fulfillment of mitzvahs. Everything must be fulfilled within that of the lev, within that of the heart, also within that of the neshama, the soul of a person, the nefeshot. It has to be fulfilled in those things, and then the hands go to work. Whether it be the construction of your meal, whether it be putting out your hand to that and giving to that of the poor, the widows, the orphans, and so on and so forth. The working of your hands in your secular job is a fulfillment of mitzvahs within that of the Torah. It's something that also Paul makes note of in his letters, that the man who doesn't work doesn't eat. These things, though so mundane they may seem, is actually a fulfillment of Jewish mitzvah. We I am reminded of the book of the letter of James or Yaakov. Jacob, where he says that a person could say they have faith all day long. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he says, you know what? Your works are what is the product of your faith. And this requires the actual doing of the hands. And this shows that we are willing to give of ourself in the fulfillment of mitzvahs, in our praise of the Messiah, Yeshua, and through all that it is that we do and how it is that we live our life, that we do everything lishma Hashem for the sake of God. Above all else, now it's interesting because we're going to get now into a very long passage on this very verse. 
from the Zohar. And this is going to get really dicey here. Okay, there's going to be a lot of stuff that we get into, but it's super cool. It's super cool what you're going to learn through the reading of this passage, just seeing its parallels and understanding what is happening in the letter to the Philippians and how it parallels with this concept. The thing that you have to know about the Zohar is that everything is dealt with with the Sefirot. Let me go and show you a, a quick slide that we'll come back to a little bit later. This is the Sefirot. And as you see, it is in the body and the form of a human being, of a person. And these are things that give us a little bit of insight into the Jewish understanding of the death of the Messiah on the cross, where it is that he was pierced, all of these things, and through his life and his birth and all of these things are dealt with in the concept of the Sephirot. Okay, we're going to go back to that slide here in just a moment. But this is what is dealt with in the Zohar. Okay, so we're going to go to Zohar Shemini 1.3. It says, Rabbi Chavia said that the written Torah, which is Zeranpin, and the oral Torah, which is Malchut, I'm going to talk about these terms here in just a moment. Established man in the world, as it is written, let us make man in our image and our likeness, written in the plural form. And this deals with the Godhead. When we pray three times a day, we pray that three times a day. Mention God three times, and it deals with the three pillars of the Sefirot. Okay? There's three pillars that go straight down. And so this deals with the plural form. It's also something that is found within that of father, mother, and child. And this also relates to the Godhead as well. And all these things are tied together. Okay? So I, I just wanted to say that. In the plural form... This is the image and likeness of who have both made man an image by the masculine principle, which is Zerampin, called image, and likeness by the feminine principle, which is Mahut, called likeness. Mahut also means kingdom, by the way. Mahut is called likeness, Hebrew demut, which is derived from silence, for she has nothing of her own. Save uh, what she receives from Zerampin, the man's soul was created from the unity of Zerampin and Mahut. Therefore, it is said in our image, after our likeness, that is the reason why the Torah begins with the letter Beit, which is has the numeric value of two. For it alludes to Zerampin and Mahut. This has already been explained, and it's been explained in other parts of the Zohar and all this. But there's a lot of stuff to draw down from here. You know, it relies a lot on the concept of marriage in this and the Zohar here. In fact, it says that a man does not receive the title of Ish, man, until he is married. They say that during that time, he, if he's not married, that he is an animal. He's an animal. 
And there's many things that we could get into in terms of that. But the thing that is interesting is that with the three pillars of the Sephirot that go vertically down, okay, there's two opposite extremes. And one is on the right-hand side. The other is on the left-hand side. And they seem to be in total contradiction to one another. But the middle pillar unites those two things together. And we see this in Torah law. We have mitzvot. We have hokim. We have mishpatim. We also have the forefathers, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yochov, which encapsulate chesed, machut, or, or, or I'm sorry, chesed, um, uh, gevurim, and uh, tiferet, you know, which are pillars of the sefirot and all that. I'll get into what those mean at some other point. But each of them represent those those things. And the middle pillar ties those two things together. And the Zohar also says that the Mashiach is that middle pillar of the Sephirot. And so with this, we have this concept that is also tied into the concept of light, as it mentions, within that of the Zohar. Because in another part within that of the Zohar, it says that the woman is the moon, the man is the sun, that she has no light of her own. She only reflects the light of her husband, okay, because she has no light of her own. And this is what it is talking about in terms of this, of the image of Zeron Peen and so on and so forth. But see, <laughs> the Zohar cannot always be taken in just a literal sense. It is painting a picture that requires 32 rules and 72 different interpretations, which are absolutely correct. You can read it on the, you know, on, in the in the Peshat over here and say, yes, yes, okay. But then also there's, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's why it is that we're bringing up these various ideas here. Known as Zerampin. And Mahut. Also remember, Zerampin means the little face. That's very interesting that that's, it means the little face. Mahut means kingdom as well. But it also relates to Damut, which means likeness as well. And this deals with the concept of what is going on on earth is a mirror reflection of what is happening in heaven. And this deals a great deal with the Mishkan. With the Haron going and uh, doing the uh, car, the uh, the korban, you know, uh, in the Mishkan, and you know there is a mirror reflection in heaven that rains down blessings from Hashem to His people from the sacrifices, the offerings rather, being given to Him here on earth. Okay. And so we're going to look at this concept because this is going to deal greatly with the concept of light because the Zohar has a lot to say about light and the constriction of light. And I say to myself, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is speaking about here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Notice you'll see in here, Demut is in here likeness but uh let this mind be with you which is also in mashiach yeshua who through existing in the demut the likeness 
of the mode of being Elohim, nevertheless, Mashiach did not regard being equal with God as a thing to be seized, but poured out and emptied himself, taking the demut, the likeness of the mode of being an avid servant, and was born in the likeness of B'nai Adam, the son of Adam. And having been found in the appearance of Adam, Mashiach Yeshua humbled himself and took the path of Shiflut, lowliness, into Mishma'at, obedience even unto death, a death on Ha'etz, the tree. Therefore also Hashem exalted Yeshua and gave to, to him Hashem the name above every name. And at Hashem of Yeshua, Chol Berech, will bow and the beings Bishamayim and in Ba'aretz and Metzach La'aretz in the world below and Kol Lashon, every tongue shall Ha'ada, uh, um, uh, Ho'ada, confession with Ani Ma'amin, that is an open and public admission that Yeshua is Adoneo and Kavod of Elohim Aveno. So interesting what is being talked about in this here. Now, we're going to have to go back to this picture here. Now, the thing we have to understand, first of all, is that God's blessings emanate from the highest sephirah, which is that of Keter. And spiral downward through the sephirot below it. The top three sephirot, Keter, Chokmah, Binah, God's bounty is hidden. It only begins to become manifest in the two sephirot, which is Chesed and Gevorah. Chesed and Gevorah correspond to the right and the left hands, respectively. Thus, Aharon raised his hands. We too can draw down through our hands, both from the raising of them in prayer to God and using them for positive deeds, as we mentioned before. But there is something else here. Because when you go and you look at the Sephirot, you see Keter. Within Keter, that is where the crown of thorns was placed upon that of Yeshua's head. Then you have Tiferet below that, which is beauty, beauty. They were talking we, when Yeshua resurrected, how, just how amazingly beautiful he was. Yesod is within the genital region. Yeshua was born from a virgin. Mahut, he was given the king, the keys to the kingdom. And was in the likeness of his father. But then we have Chesed and we have Gevura, which is on the left and right hand side, number six and number seven, if you're looking at the numbers there. Those are the hands. Yeshua was pierced in both hands. And these concepts correspond to the first coming of Messiah as Mashiach ben Yosef and the second coming of Messiah as Mashiach ben David. 
Because Gevurah is judgment, Chesed is loving kindness. Eved, the, a servant, comes in Chesed. Gevurah, one of the things that we see in, in Sefer HaGalut, in the book of Revelation, is we see that Yeshua is coming to give judgment. Now, the thing is, the things that I had just mentioned there, Keter, Tiferet, Yesod, Mahut, Chesed, Gevurah, guess what those things make up? Zir Anpin, the little face. The Damut, the likeness of God. And this, what Paul is talking about in Philippians, is a concept known as Zimsum, the constriction of God that he talks about there, which shows the divinity of the Messiah through this rabbinic concept known as the Zimsum, the constriction of light. This is what we see. All of these concepts that were found in the Zohar are being taught by the Apostle Paul. Remember that Peter said that Paul is very hard to understand. To many who are novices, Peter says it says, says this. Paul caused a lot of confusion with people. Why? Because he was teaching these heavily Kabbalistic ideas that we see right here in proving the divinity of the Messiah in Philippians chapter 2. And this is the way in which Paul himself operates. This is just absolutely amazing, is it not? Just absolutely incredible. We got a whole lot more to get to today. It's going to be a much longer episode than usual. But the thing is that this, from these rabbinic Jewish texts, when we go and we marry them with the New Testament, say, wait a minute, these concepts, even the same words, the mut, are being used in both here. The thing that we see is that they prove the Messiahship of Yeshua. They prove these things, but we have to know how to look for them. We can understand Paul a lot better by understanding his, his hashkafa, by understanding his worldview, by understanding the world in which he came from, from understanding what it was that he was taught, how it is that he would speak. These are the things that would help us so greatly in our understanding of Scripture. And if we did this, there would be much less division in the Guf HaMashiach, in the body of Messiah. Okay? And so that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to stop all sorts of division that is happening in the body of And that's what we hope to do here. So let's go to our next verse. I know we're going very slowly through this Torah portion. We're going to be going all the way to through chapter two of the next chapter. Of Leviticus 9 first. And it says this. Fire came out from before God. And consumed the burnt offering. And the fats upon the altar. And the people saw. And they sang praises. And they fell on their faces. Oh, on their what? On their faces. 
Zerampin, little face. The people fell on their faces. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? But not only that. Not only that, but it mentions the fire. Guess how you'd say fire in Hebrew? Ish. Okay? It's ish. What is the word for man in Hebrew? Hebrew? Ish. Spelled differently. There's a yod in the word ish. How do you spell the word woman in Hebrew? Isha. Now, this is interesting because there is a commandment. That we find in the Torah that says, do not start a fire on the Shabbos. That again, word for fire is ish. There's a yod added to the word ish for man. The yod symbolizes humility. And then for the word woman, you have isha, which has the letter hey at the end. This represents her honor and her vitality. This is what the letter Hey represents. When you combine the, the extra letters for the word man and the word woman, you have Yod Hey, which is one of the names for God. And this is showing that it is that God is the center of a person's marriage. If the man goes and exercises his humility to build up his wife's honor and her vitality and all these things. If he doesn't do that, the yod is gone. Then the hay is gone. What do you have? You have ish, fire. This is what that commandment is talking about here. So this is in relation to the words from the Zohar that deal with the concept of marriage. I've given you a lot of backstory in terms of these things. So you can see how all of these things connect. It's a lot to learn. I understand that. I realize that it's a lot to learn. But the thing is, you know, you, you learn a little bit of, at a time. I tell people, if you're starting out, go on the three-year Torah cycle as opposed to the one-year. Go at your own pace here, and you pick up these concepts. The more and more you learn, I have faith in you guys because you are taking the time to take time out of your day to even come here to listen to me, who is not the greatest teacher on the face of the planet, but I think I do okay, you know. but there's many that are much more um, better educated than myself that uh, could go and teach you these things, but you guys chose to be here. So we have all those things in that verse, but we have more from the Talmud. We're going to go to Tractate Yoma 21b. Through the fire from heaven descends upon the altar. It is a mitzvah to bring an earthly fire as well. Interesting. Now, the thing that we see all throughout the Torah, and we'll see it next week in our double portion for Tazriya Metzora, is one of the purification processes is fire. We see the purifications of that 
of the disciples. In Acts chapter 2, when tongues of fire came down upon them. We see that the world is sanctified when the enemies of the Lord are engulfed in flames. In Sefer um, Hagalut, in the book of Revelation. We see how the fire is used for a purification process. Next week, it'll tell us to go and put our utensils, if a person has zarot, to clean them in water or fire is something that we will see. And so when it says the fire from heaven descends upon that of the altar, it's a mitzvah to bring earthly fire as well. It's in the understanding of realizing what that fire represents, what it is there for. It is not there for destruction, but instead it is there for purification. And that purification through this type of fire is to purify an individual through that of his korban. But wait a minute, didn't you just say that marital strife represents that of fire of Ish? Yes, there is no contradiction here, and I will tell you why that is. Because if a man knows his role, he realizes that his wife is his tukun. His soul correction. So when she is mad at him, he will go and change his ways. And he will change them in a way that is for the good. It's for the reason of sanctification. It is not out of the reason of she's being mean. No, no, that is not the reason. Any of you guys who think that you need to go and get that out of your mind right now. You got to get that thought out of your mind. Okay, but let us go to Lekote Halachot from Rabbi Nachman. He says, the fire from heaven sent to burn the sacrifices, i.e. to receive them, represents a burning love of God towards us. When we present our love for God as an offering to the altar, even through it, may be blemished, the heavenly fire consumes our passions and purifies them. Absolutely. And that's not just a feel-good kind of passage there. That's not the reason why that exists. It's this concept that we end up finding in Ahorimot. We find it in uh, Tractate Kedoshim, in that of the Talmud, where it says that trial and tribulation come about from a person as correction from that of Hashem to mold them into the person that they need to be. They, the sages say that this is like it says in Proverbs, where it says that a, a, uh, a father will go and punish his children. It's not for the reason of being mean, it's so that they are corrected. And if a person has not received trial or tribulation in 40 days and 40 nights, he may have lost his share in the world to come, is what it says in those tractates of the Talmud. Why is that? Because of the fact that you're not listening to your correction. So Hashem's not going to waste his time with you. And this deals with that concept of fire. A fire. We got to realize that everything is for the good. 
Everything comes from Hashem. Not some things, not most things, not just the things we like. Everything comes from Hashem. If we realize that, then we can have this introspective nature on every aspect of our life and make sure that we are doing what we do for the reasons of Lishma Hashem. But now we get into Nadab and Abihu. Okay? It says here, each of Aharon's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took his own fire pan. They put fire in them and placed incense on top, and they brought an extremous fire before God, which he had not commanded them to bring. Fire came down from before God and consumed them, and they died before God. Now, there's a certain way that people tend to see this. And a lot of the times people see this incorrectly. Okay, we are going to go and look at the at this from the correct Hashkafa. Okay, and so what we're do, what we're looking at here is from the words of Menachem Mendel Schneerson, the Levavitcher Rebbe. He says, "Why did Nadav and Avihu enter the sanctuary while intoxicated with wine? That doesn't sound too good, does it? Oh, we'll get into that concept." Hasidic thought explains that while they did actually drink physical wine, their desire was not for the wine per se, but rather the heightened spiritual awareness that can be obtained through drinking. Nadav and Avihu were indeed holy people, as Moshe declared to Aharon after their passing. Now I see that they, that they were greater than me or you, as Rashi says, so... Not only did they enter the sanctuary to be close to God, they did so under the influence of alcohol. As they felt, this would help them to become even closer by heightening their spiritual sensitivity. But their desire for spirituality was unbalanced. Nadav and Abihu uh, simply expired because they came so close to God that they could no, um, no longer wanted a boldly existence, a bodily existence. And while they were indeed appropriate and admirable for a Jew to have intense yearning for God, like Nadav and Avihu, one must be able to refocus spiritual inspiration back into everyday life. Yeah, a lot of the times it comes down to the experience. The thing is that within the words of the rabbis and sages, it says when stuttering the Torah, to make sure that your belly is full of meat and wine. What are they saying? They're saying to get plastered? They're saying to get, to get uh, what does the kids say, crunk? Is that what they're saying? No. No, 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 no. Because there's also a story in the Gemara section of the Talmud where you have this young rabbi that it invites this older, well-known rabbi to come to their Sukkot event. And he comes uh, and to the Sukkot event, and he knows that half of the people in his congregation, half of the men, are drinking. The other half are abstaining. And so he asks the older rabbi, he says, now which one of them is properly fulfilling the mitzvahs? 
The ones that are drinking are the ones that are abstaining. The Rebbe says this. He says they both are. How can that be? Those, those are two totally different things, total opposites. How can they both be doing that? And he says, because the ones that are drinking, when they do, they lift up their brother. They say nothing but great things about them. The ones that are abstaining are abstaining because of the fact that if they do, they tear down their brother. They just kind of go after everybody. So this is the essence of the concept of the wine when it's talked about in scripture. Many people focus in, was it alcoholic? Was it not? It was alcoholic. Okay. It was fermented. <coughs> we can point to various times in which it was. It also says to drink to not, but don't be drunk. Why? Look at Nadav and Abihu. They kind of went a little loopy. And um, they were uh, killed in, in a way that was uh, very humane. The sages say that the flames went in through their nostrils and burned up their soul is what ended up happening to them. It's because they wanted to get to that spiritual, spiritually heightened place, but they misappropriated the means about getting there and turning it actually into application. The thing is that during the time of Pesach, whenever it is that you have your Seder, I abstain from that nasty Manischewitz. <laughs> You're not going to find anybody that actually likes Manischewitz, okay? But I abstain from it. And the reason being is because I used to have a problem with alcohol. Because of the fact that I abstain from it, does that mean that I'm not fulfilling the mitzvahs? Oh, chashvi shalom, God forbid. But the wine... When it says that if you're going to study the Torah, may your belly be filled with meat and wine. We have to understand what the wine represents. Does it necessarily mean a physical wine? Not necessarily. Wine is fermented. It is changed through time. Through that time, it sits in those jugs. And we remember from the wedding that Yeshua had attended, how the best wine was the kind that was probably fermented the longest, you know, that he ended up making strictly out of water. This was to signify a life-changing event. Because if we look at ourselves, the things that we could say is that the more that it is that we learn, the more that it is the work out, the, we walk things out, the more mature we become in our faith, and the more that we learn over time, the more humility that we get. And we're like that wine being fermented and getting better. When Yeshua took turn that water, which is a purifying agent, into wine, he sped up the process of righteousness. This is what this symbolizes. Because we have to understand what these things represent. The meat refers to the of referring back to the Torah. How so? Because of the fact that the people were constantly given matzah and they're like, we're, we're, we're tired of getting the, you know what, matzah um, or manna 
represents and me actually means man is a Hebrew word. You know what it means in English? What is this? That's what it means. It means what is this? They kept saying that we want meat. We want meat. We want meat. Their focus was on something else other than that of Hashem. So if the belly is full of meat, then the mind is not constantly going to something else. The wine represents the refinement of a person. The meat represents all the other things in your thoughts being focused on those things. And so the thing is that when studying the Torah, make a point to make sure that you are not going and, uh, you know, saying, hey, you know, I really wish I had, uh, you know, meat, you know, or I'd rather have this or that. And let me just hurry up and get through with this so I can have this or that or whatever it is. That's what that passage means. Okay. So let's go back to Rebbe Nachman now. Rebbe Nachman has a little bit to say. He said, a person who burns with desire for God creates a fire and an appeasing fragrance that brings him satisfaction. For his will has been done. However, one must be wary of the fire of the evil inclination burning within him. This was the foreign fire that Nadav and Avihu brought before God. There's times that we see within the Bible where fire is used for the reason of sanctification. We also see where it is that the enemy, the Satan, uses it for the reason of destruction. And it all has to do with the application of said things. Take, for instance, I take insulin three times a day. Insulin saves my life from my blood sugar getting too high. Given that insulin to a non-diabetic, it could have devastating effects on them, could cause heart attacks, could cause death. The same is true with fire. It's all in the application. And it's like, you know, when you have a controlled fire somewhere, you know, you're going to get the permit for it and all that stuff. You got all the safeties in place. Okay, you're good. But then you have the forest fire, which is not so good. Okay. And so it all comes down to the application. All right. So we're going to read a little bit more from Rebbe Nachman of Breslev. Okay. And we're going to go to Lekote Mahoro or uh, Lekote Halachot, rather. And it says the dedication of the temple was such a holy act that an incredible revelation of godliness was manifested at the time. Seeing this, Nedav and Avihu thought that the time had come to bring complete rectification for the sin of the golden calf, which had been caused by the mixed multitude. Now that godliness was drawn back into the world, Nadav and Avihu thought they could ignite a fire, a total eradication of the forces of evil from the world. But the time was not yet ripe for this rectification, and their fire was considered a foreign fire that consumed them instead. 
When a person desires to draw close to God, he must exercise infinite patience and not act hastily. Therefore, the Torah relates God spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. Speak to your brother, Aharon. He must not enter at all times the holy, i.e., he should enter only on Yom Kippur in this fashion, as we see in Leviticus chapter 16, verses 1 through 2. God's commandment is juxtaposed with the reminder of the death of Nadav and Avihu to teach that one must not act hastily, hastily even when entering the realm of sanctity. We get so excited at times. We want to see the amazing things that God has in store for us as individuals. We want to see what God has in store for the world, for the coming of the Messiah, Yeshua. And the thing is, uh, one of the things that I learned throughout, throughout my time, through finally kind of maturing in my faith, that I don't want the coming of Messiah to happen in my time. Why not? Why not? Doesn't every believer, well, wait a minute. Because there are so many people that need to be reached. That's the reason why. We oftentimes try to speed things up. We try and trick ourselves and we fool ourselves into saying, any day now, I'm going to make this prediction. We see this happening on YouTube all the time. This is what's going to happen. Messiah is going to come on this day. The, the, the rapture is going to happen on this day. This thing is going to happen on this day at this time. Persons acting like Nadav and Avihu. I think that they have holiness within them, but they are acting hastily. Hastily. Because they're looking and saying, look at this. I'm, I'm going to be found right. All these great things are going to happen to me. I'm going to have a lofty place in the Elom Haba. The mature goes and says, what about that guy over there? What about that person over there that doesn't know the Messiah? He's so close. And if Messiah came back right now, I'm not sure he's going to make it. I'm not sure. The thing is that, yes, we may secretly want the days of Messiah to come, but also at the same time, we realize that there are things that have to happen first. Some people even try and change the Bible. And it's through their zealousness. They say, well, you know, the, the Baish HaKmikdash doesn't need to be built. Despite the fact that Revelation 11 says that there is even a court of the Gentiles. They say, you just need an altar. No, that's not what it says. It's not what it says. It says it's going into the temple. There is a court of the Gentiles. It is completed. The temple is completed. And what happens? When people make these false predictions, what happens is so many people fall away because they're like, wait a minute, this is a person of the Lord. This is the person that is the smartest out of all of them. He told me so himself. He knows all this stuff, but the things he said did not happen. 
did not happen. That affects people. That affects people. But there's this, there is this zealousness and acting hastily like Nadav and Abihu that we need to be very, very, very mature in handling. The thing I tell people all the time, I could go onto YouTube, I could watch the news and say, okay, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to say that this is going to happen. I'm going to say it's from the Lord. There's a lot of people that do this. A lot of people that do this. I'm not saying everybody, but there are a lot. And then say, this is going to happen. And I'm just kind of reading the tea leaves and all of that stuff. I'm building myself up a following. Building myself up a following. And I go and I do that. And let's say that I'm wrong one time. One time. First of all, God's going to put me in his place, in my place, because of the fact that I spoken hastily. I said that something was from him that wasn't. That's horrible. That's taken the Lord's name vain. That is, in many ways, Moti Shamra. Wait a minute, I didn't say that. The thing is that I realize that, uh, that there are so many in my faith, in the Jewish faith, that have not seen the Messiah. They don't realize that Messiah Yeshua is the Messiah that they've been waiting for, that they've been looking for. Before my days are done on this earth, I want to reach as many people as I can. Those who want to, you know, those who it is that the Spirit of God has led to my teachings and to the things I say and all that stuff. The thing that I say is that, you know what? These are people that are going to need some help walking these things out in the proper steps without the shortcuts. You know, it's interesting because I also do guitar related videos, I review guitar gear. And there's so many things that have millions of views that you can look up on YouTube. This trick, this one trick will revolutionize your guitar playing. <laughs> it's smoke and mirrors. It's trying to get around doing the hard work, learning the notes, learning the scales, learning the chords, realizing which ones go with which ones. It's not going to translate well whenever a person has to write their own music, has to improvise a solo, has to say, the singer's saying this, what is he singing? What do I play here? Everybody wants the quick hack. How many times we see that on the internet? This one hack. Everybody wants things so Quickly. Because nowadays, we could go through a drive-thru. Get a full meal within five minutes. Complete meal here. I could go and turn on my television. Right now, any movie that I want, as long as I ain't got the money in my bank account, I can get instant access to that movie. 
instant access to it. That's what we're used to today. That instant access, that instant gratification. People look for that spiritually. They look for that. This one hack will get you into heaven. That's what people are looking for. They want to fast track things. Let's fast track it because that is going to satisfy me. There's an order in operation. The thing I could tell you, anything that it is that you do, you have to put a lot of effort into it. Whether it's something in your spiritual walk, whether it's in your job or any sort of hobby that it is that you have, anything that you do, you got to put in a lot of effort and realize, I got a lot to learn before I can do this. Before I learn how to play Eruption by Eddie Van Halen, I need to know what all these techniques are. I need to spend weeks, maybe months on each of these techniques. Then I got to look at the tablature or maybe learn it by ear and try and piece it all together. And even after that's done, I don't have it down pat. Don't have it down pat. It's a long road. Today, in today's time, people don't have that perseverance. They don't. In your spiritual walk, you need to have that perseverance. Otherwise, you're going to end up like Nadab and Abihu. So, let's go to Likateha Lechot again. This is our final slide. Nadav and Avihu died because they burned with great zealousness for the godliness. Even beyond their capabilities. Beyond their capabilities. They tried to run before they could walk. They did not constrain themselves in matters of spirituality. They received too much light and could not contain it. Therefore, they died. Reb Noson adds that they were great Zadikim. Absolutely. They were indeed great Zadikim. Nadav and Avihu did not exercise restraint when approaching the Holy of Holies, which is the highest level of sanctity in this world. We always try and run before it is that we can walk. I've seen people go and give themselves titles before doing the hard work, doing the schooling, going and making sure that they are under a spiritual authority before they say, well, you know what? I'm going to call myself rabbi something from now on. I'm going to call myself deacon or apostle or this or that. They could be righteous individuals, much like Nadav and Abihu. But they are leading themselves to their own destruction. To their own destruction by not doing things the right way. This walk, no matter if you're Christian, Jewish, or what have you, you need to realize it is not a Frank Sinatra walk. It's not your way. There's a reason why it is that when a person comes to me and they say, I want to start fulfilling mitzvahs. I say, you need to start as B'nai Noach. 
I don't want to do that. I want to start doing. I start. I, I, I want to start doing Pesach. I want to start doing Sukkot. I want to start doing Yom Kippur. I want you know they, they want to run before they can walk. Then what ends up happening? They fall into the Hebrew roots movement. They start thinking that sacred name theology is the way to go. That's what's going to get them into heaven. They think that the Torah represents salvation, that they're going to get salvation through the Torah. They think the earth's flat. They think that aliens are in the Bible. They think all of these things. And then they walk down the street wearing fake zitziot with fake tehillit on it. And they say, I'm going to go and talk to the Jews. I'm going to tell them about Yeshua. When they do that, they're not even fulfilling that mitzvah correctly. Not realizing, first of all, women don't wear that. Second of all, that it needs to be a talikatan with real tehillit as opposed to just a blue strand. And it's not something from your belt loops. Because what's going to happen is through their zealousness, because of the fact that they're running before they can walk, they have caused these Jewish individuals to deny the Messiah Yeshua because they say, this person can't even do zitziot right. But yet, they think they know the Messiah. Okay. Okay. And so that's what gets put in their head about every single believer in Messiah that they are. A mere reflection of that person right there. Our zealousness can run in front of us. It can steamroll us. And it can absolutely destroy not only us, but the people around us as well. Guys, I thank you for joining me here today and we got the double portion we got three videos coming out next week we got the double portion Tazria Metzara we're going to be going over those and part three of my responding to the anti-missionaries series so next week going to be super busy I may need to pre-record some of those in all honesty this weekend who knows if I have the time I definitely am going to but I will definitely get those three teachings out to you guys next week and we are we will try and launch Light of Messiah, the Roku channel, next week. Thank you all for joining me here today. I want to wish you all shalom bracha, peace and a blessing. Shalom.